Welcome to the discussion, Keeping Cyber Systems Safe in Defense, sponsored by Microfocus Government Solutions. Here's today's moderator, Scott Massioni. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Matt Connor, Chief Information Security Officer at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Matt, thanks so much for being here. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. So Matt, just to, to begin with, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you a little bit about cybersecurity in general. What is the NGA's approach to cybersecurity and how are you sort of formulating your strategy around that? Well, I hope we're not doing anything too innovative because you know, we do sort of have a whole of NGA perspective on cyber that emphasizes uh, you know, early and, and uh, frequent engagement with the cybersecurity program from our programs, from our developers. So in that sense, we're sort of living the build it in, don't bolt it on kind of ethos. Um, I mean, we're, we're, I suspect like most other organizations like us, we're uh, trying to invest even more in automation, in maturing our cybersecurity program, in looking for tomorrow's cybersecurity talent. Uh, it's, you know, it's hard to say we're doing anything tremendously unique, except that uh, our culture does prompt us to push uh, further to the outside than many of our IC uh, partners. So we are definitely more engaged on the unclassified networks than the other IC agencies, given our statutory missions to provide safety of navigation products for mariners and pilots around the world. So that culture pushes us to, to take a little bit more risk, uh, to, to push pretty far forward. Um, and to learn from that quickly. Yeah, how do you balance that? I mean, you know, some, something like the NRO, they're very internal, they're very, um, you know, classified. You guys, uh, you work a lot with maps, you work with GPS and things like that, which are more toward the outside. So, um, you know, how are you working with classified networks and how are you working with the unclass? Well, I think like everybody else, uh, we were largely on the classified networks prior to the pandemic and we did a huge uh, pivot to get down to the low side. Um, the, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, our average teleworkers uh, was about 300, and at the peak of the pandemic, we were well over 10,000. Uh, and so we, we increased capacity by 30x, for example, just to sort of support our workers uh, heading home and being safe. And there was a, a period within our building when we were uh, less than 10% occupancy from our uh, normal highs. It's only recently that the uh, low side has become our primary we, we definitely uh, have classified sensors, we have classified products, we have classified analytics. Uh, the the major, majority of our workforce is active largely on classified networks. And so, um, so the move to, to unclass has been relatively recent, except for those, again, statutory missions that we've had for a long, long time. But even the production of many of those products takes place on the high side and it's moved low, which creates an incredible demand for cross-domain services. Uh, from a cybersecurity perspective, you probably recognize that cross-domain services are our riskiest systems for their ability to bridge unclassified and classified networks. So they get the most rigor, the most testing, the most governance uh, to protect us from that risk. That must have been a pretty empty building. I remember, I think when I went there, you can fit the Statue of Liberty in the, the atrium or something like that, right? That, that is true, yes. And the uh, other fun fact, if you'll get on the nickel tour, is the, uh, if you recall, the, the top of the building that sort of looks like uh, Hogwarts, where you can see the, the weather and the, you know, the, the rain and those kinds of things, those uh, roof panels were all made of the same material that the Chinese bird's nest Olympic Stadium was made out of. So wow. actually sort of they're part of the climate system in the building. They give a little bit, they, they contract a little bit. It's a pretty impressive facility and one of the only lead platinum buildings in terms of environmental impact in the DC metro area. Very cool. So getting back to cybersecurity, you know, a, a lot of things need to be 
uh, centralized. You need to have uh, you know a lot of rapid capabilities to, to bring uh, to, to hit these sorts of of hackers when they're trying to get in, or, or you know any sorts of uh, cyber malware and things like that. Um, you know, how are you staying centralized? How are you kind of pushing out the the um, the the stoppage when you need to, that sort of thing. So we have a cybersecurity operations center um, with a full complement 24-7, uh, as you'd expect. Uh, one of the most important aspects of our cybersecurity operations center, or CSOC, is that it's uh, both located with and in alignment with the NGA Ops Center, which sort of emphasizes that cybersecurity is another mission imperative. We, uh, we, we have tight integration with a cybersecurity watch officer who informs leadership of critical issues when they need to through an escalation pattern. So I think that's one of the, the hallmarks of our cybersecurity program is it's a mission imperative. Otherwise, you know, the uh, CSOC, you know, to be in, uh, effective, they collect telemetry from all systems on all networks. Uh, most of the time they're moving that stuff up to the classified network where we can fuse it all together. Uh, but it's just one of those things that, uh, you know, we used to joke that cybersecurity is like air and water, it's not optional. Uh, and so uh, for the CSOC to be able to actively monitor and defend, you know, all roads need to leave there. Leave there. So we have um, you know, data collection agents, uh, data aggregation agents, and uh, increasingly we're moving to automated parsing of that cybersecurity telemetry, given that uh, essentially no human can keep up with the speed of alerts. Well, you, you definitely picked exactly where I'm going next, which is, you know, how does automation fit into that? Because clearly you're probably be, your tax surface is, is large. You know, there's a lot of people trying to get in into the United States government, especially in an intelligence center, uh, intelligence agency. So, um, you know, what, what kind of automation are you bringing in? What, what are you sort of looking at in, in sort of the research or going forward in, in the, uh, the future, that kind of stuff? Right. Um, <clears throat> well, uh, one of our, our big efforts right now is uh, fusion with the CSOC uh, in, with our data core. So a few years ago, in order to meet the, the future demand of NGA's data, I mean, we collect and ingest just you know, countless uh, terabytes or petabytes of data, um, that we have a data core where NGA deliberately invested in people who are data literate, data scientists, those kinds of things. We have a chief data scientist. And so what they do is they consult on various projects across the agency. And the one that I'm very proud of is work being led out of our CSOC in partnership with our data core. And, and it's, it's everything you hope it would be, or it certainly is for me in the sense of applying advanced analytics um, AI and ML, and, and not in the buzzword sense, so we can say that we have some of that, but truly trying to, uh, to you know, to take the signal from the noise, or you know, more accurately, take the needle in the needle stack. I mean, we're collecting hundreds of millions of events and parsing that for anomalous behavior. That's the kind of stuff that computers do well. And so uh, we're, we're building, uh, you know, our big data lakes full of cybersecurity telemetry. Uh, we're doing that in multiple platforms, and we're visualizing that stuff, trending that stuff, um, it, you know, we're applying advanced data science to it. And so uh, I'm excited about that work. You know, that's not the only place where we're applying AI and ML. Uh, you know, of course, I, I sort of focused on the cyber network defense uh, environment, but really, I mean, there's not much in NGA that isn't data driven, whether it's the products that we ingest, the products that we create, or even just day-to-day -day business in our shop. Uh, you know, we're using data uh, and analytics to do continuous monitoring. So uh, changes in operational risk throughout the life cycle after an authorization decision is yielded. We're using data to manage our workforce where we're looking at key metrics and indicators like um, 
retention times and recruiting for people. Some of the more basic metrics are things like, you know, compliance with 8570 regulations for to make sure that people have uh, appropriate certifications commensurate with their responsibilities. But really, I mean, everything's data, right? Whether or not people know it. And so I mean, from my perspective, when I speak to uh, either my workforce or the workforce of tomorrow, it's, it's data, data, data. Uh, and data is a key part uh, underpinning some of the NGA's uh, biggest initiatives. Um, that the, the director has been talking about with the workforce and actually uh, will soon release to the public uh, some of these key initiatives. Um, I mean, they're all built on data. And I think AI, you know, for some people at this point is, like you said, a buzzword. Not everyone can really grasp what this sort of issue is or what this technology is. Um, can you tell us if there's any sort of payoffs that you're getting at this point or is it still a, kind of a nascent technology that you're kind of getting your, your arms around? Well, I can obviously speak from a cybersecurity perspective, but I should also um, offer a perspective from the agency. Um, so from a cybersecurity perspective, absolutely. We, we're seeing the detection of anomalous behavior that only become clear when you trend large data sets over time. Uh, and that's allowed us to ferret out things for exploration. Doesn't necessarily mean, uh, you know, we're finding previously un, uh, undocumented penetrations. That would be very troubling but a, a valuable outcome from AIML. But truly it's, it's allowing us to look at, you know, things like misconfigurations, things that beacons that are chiming away or uh, systems that are reporting misconfiguration that you know, they're, they're just lost in the noise. And so we've seen value in network cleanup. Uh, we've seen value in uh, rogue asset detection. You know, shadow IT is a very real problem. Uh, while we certainly have strong governance mechanisms, you know, every once in a while, we'll find something that shouldn't be where it is and, and you know, for reasons. And um, so things like cybersecurity analysis through AIML, that's the kind of stuff that they do well. They pick those kinds of things out of the noise. Um, additionally, I would say that from an agency perspective, we certainly do have a, a AAA initiative, which is automation, augmentation, artificial intelligence. And so we're applying AIML to NGA's challenge space, including GeoInt. Uh, and so we actually have a uh, named senior who leads that activity orchestrating AI ML projects across the, across the agency. Uh, our former director said a year and change ago that, that we would need 6 million analysts to parse all the data that NGA has. We don't have 6 million analysts. <laughs> uh, and so we're applying AI ML just to help us, you know, with our day job, which is delivering GeoN. And, and when it comes to cybersecurity, you know, obviously having AI do that sort of dumb work that, you know, you don't need to waste humans time on is very valuable. Uh, do you see AI going up into these higher echelons and doing work that um, maybe a, a very advanced analyst would do? Or for a while or the foreseeable future, it's going to stay in that, um, you know, area where we can really trust it? I, well, so, okay, you, ra you raised an interesting dimension there with trust, which we can get to in a moment. Um, I, I do think near term, we're sort of working on basic blocking and tackling and reducing the tier one, tier two workload uh, so that they can spend more time making decisions, which is what humans do well, uh, rather than just sort of, uh, you know, responding to sensors and those kinds of things. So we're looking to combine that type of power AI ML with orchestration and automation where you know, a certain set of behaviors would, would drive us courses of action that you know, the basic blocking and shunning, for example, of a suspect connection could be done in an automated fashion. And I think from a trust perspective, we're, we're certainly building that with our training data and our model. 
false. Uh, but, you know, I think there's a there's a shady dimension of trust with respect to AI ML that we're also thinking of. And this is for the whole of agency perspective, which is sort of the, um, you know, what's commonly referred to as the deep fake, uh, deep fake problem. But bottom line is, you know, you, your models are, are only as good as your training data. Uh, your algorithm is only as good as your models. And so we are very conscious of counter AI threats out there. Uh, we haven't moved out on specific technology selections but we are definitely tracking that uh, issue. Uh, I mean, it's hard to see when the time horizon of operational uh, you know, fakes, those kinds of things would start to uh, impact our, our business. Um, but we're definitely tracking that issue. And so we've engaged our, our federally funded research and development contractors, among others, to help us with that pretty hard problem. Right, because I mean, at some point it really gets to an arms race where AI learns to mitigate a risk and then the opposite AI learns to uh, go past and thwart that mitigation, and then it, you know, right? It, get, it just keeps going on forever. Right. Well, everything old is new again, right? I mean, and right. everything goes in a cycle, right? So that's the endless, endless battle between, you know, pirates and and coast guard and everybody else, right? We're just all constantly going to be in that cycle. Uh, it's just the, the new technology, you know. And the same could be said of you know quantum resistant crypto, right? Trying to figure out when to deploy quantum resistant crypto, which is now but looking ahead at a future where quantum computing changes everything. And that's just going to be an arms race. It's going to be an escalation. And while we're on sort of the, the buzzy word type things, um, you know, zero trust that a lot of people are thinking about right now. Is that something that you're implementing already or, um, you know, are you, are you putting it in into practice? Yep. So I got bingo. So. Um, <laughs> uh, absolutely. So, I mean, zero trust. So, um, you know, if you ask five cybersecurity professionals about their views on zero trust, I would argue that you'd get seven different answers, right? Mm -hmm. It sort of means everything and therefore nothing. Right. Uh, and we spend a lot of time with, again, FFRDCs and or, uh, you know, market analysts trying to separate um, wheat from the chaff. Uh, you know, the basic principles of mutual authentication, I think, are true no matter what definition you apply. And so we're absolutely designing that into our service-centered architecture and uh, absolutely designing that into our future operating environment, which is the, uh, the IT of the future that will underpin our uh, new facility in St. Louis, as well as our, our pivot for our future architecture here in the East. So zero trust has to be part of that. Uh, we are plugged in with um, multiple pilot activities and multiple, multiple working groups to funding those standards for the IC and the DOD, uh, of which we are a member of both. Um, and so uh, right now we're, we're definitely looking at where do we implement zero trust? What does that mean to us? You know, are there, where are there technology solutions that fill gaps and where are we taking advantage of existing services uh, like you know, strong authentication via a strong identity access management and authentication service? I'd like to thank today's guest, Matt Connor, Chief Information Security Officer at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, and you're listening to Federal News Network. When the competitive ground shifts, you need to be ready. With MicroFocus's enterprise-grade scalable software, U.S. public sector agencies are driving their digital transformation. With MicroFocus government solutions, agencies are able to stay compliant with government regulatory mandates while enabling innovations through DevSecOps, hybrid cloud, cybersecurity, and predictive analytics software. Learn more at microfocusgov.com. That's microfocusgov.com. 
Welcome back to the discussion, Keeping Cyber Systems Safe in Defense, sponsored by Microfocus Government Solutions on Federal News Network. My guest today is Matt Connor, Chief Information Security Officer at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, and I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni. So Matt, we were talking a lot about the decision-making in AI. Um, you know, how are you taking in decision-making when it comes to top-down, uh, you know, the, the people like you, and then bottom-up from, you know, your employees who are seeing issues happen and stuff like that? I would be suspect of any process, um, any, uh, any uh, activity at NGA that isn't underpinned by data, right? So we're trying to apply, you know, objective empirical data to virtually every process, uh, personnel, process, and technology. Uh, and from the top-down perspective, um, you know, for good or for bad, we have a number of different scorecards that we use to communicate uh, metrics and value. Uh, so the IC has a number of different scorecards. I'm using a scorecard loosely. There are other names for these things, but bottom line is they're, they're views of metrics that connote a uh, cybersecurity risk posture, uh, either a, uh, you know, a list of high value targets and protections associated with them, uh, a list of vulnerability status, patch status, those kinds of things. Uh, so on the IC and the DOD side, uh, we are definitely com uh, complying with the different metric demands uh, from uh, oversight to make sure that they have enterprise cybersecurity visibility. Uh, you know, so, uh, metrics, data, um, you know, good and bad, right? So I mean, they, they are often descriptive metrics of how many of which in each. Uh, where we're looking to do is, you know, continue that analysis. And this is another place where we're using AIML to determine what does it mean? Uh, and so we do have a, a cybersecurity enterprise uh, uh, visualization and analysis service within the cybersecurity program that we built a, a data lake to collect this telemetry. And we're using it, interrogating it for, for example, continuous monitoring purposes of highlighting systems, uh, you know, with, um, with patterns of, of not patching or patterns of miscompliance, those kinds of things, uh, patterns of uh, vulnerability disclosure, uh, disclosure programs through like the DOD's bug bounty, those kinds of things. You know, the, the power of data is being able to step back and look at that not as a moment in time or not as a discrete system, but look at that as a piece of a whole. Uh, so we're using data to understand and, and map and communicate our mission relevant terrain for cyber, uh, which is a DOD imperative to understand how we accomplish operational missions and what the IT underneath it is that supports that. And we can describe the security posture of that through metrics and data. Uh, I mentioned earlier personnel processes, and we've done things like, you know, a health of the occupation report uh, for cybersecurity by providing information about, you know, uh, average degrees, average certifications, average retention time, average recruiting time, uh, average compliance, those kinds of things give us a lot of powerful insight into our workforce and allows us to make decisions about how we forecast our cybersecurity future, whether it be emphasis on STEM degrees, whether it be from historically underrepresented populations, uh, where it be from, um, from really any, any vantage point. We, we make data-driven cases based on our personnel, and that uses us to guide our decisions. Great, and I'd, I'd like to get into that a little bit more in a second here, but um, I want to ask you first, since we're talking about top-down and bottom-up, the, just the, the amount of cyber hygiene that you do at this point. Um, you know, obviously, that's important um, because no matter what you do, if there's, the cyber hygiene isn't good, then you're in trouble. Um, so, you know, bottom down in that sense, you know, how are you making sure that your employees are, are following the correct rules, that they're doing the things that they need to do to stay safe? Absolutely. So we have multiple processes that are driven by data that help us uh, curate and manage the cybersecurity posture of our enterprise. Uh, you know, this could be something as simple as, uh, you know, a meta-analysis of 
systems reporting in through endpoint detection and response for our manager of managers and looking at which ones haven't gotten all the modules, uh, haven't gotten all the patches deployed, or haven't uh, you know, responded to a bug bounty, those kinds of things. Day to day, our teams are using that kind of data to interface with programs, to apply those needed patches, to enroll them in the right security services. All that's driven by data. So, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty tactical uh, view of that. Uh, from a Kanban perspective, and we've got a technology and monitoring division who focus strictly on that. So when we yield an authorization decision based on a validation of controls in a specific operational environment to a specific risk posture, you know, watching that for drift is a key function of continuous monitoring. And we've got a team who takes that telemetry uh, from either credentialed scans, uh, patch data, endpoint data, uh, multiple other agents reporting in and looks at that for action and escalation. You know, we need the, the chief of risk management to engage this program to, to correct uh, you know, a, a, some problem with their baseline, you know, all the way through up through the director level. Uh, one of the things that our current CIO has really been a strong proponent of is, uh, as we evaluate and adjudicate risk, and obviously I have an escalation path through our CIO, but ultimately escalation lies with the mission owners. And so um, with our director of operations, uh, two-star general, and with our director of the agency, you know, uh, Admiral Sharp, Vice Admiral Sharp, uh, we escalate uh, unacceptable risks to their level for prioritization, for resourcing, for, um, you know, if we need a little oomph. Uh, and, and we do that based on data. You, I don't think we could build a compelling case to leaders at that level without showing them the, the telemetry, showing our work. Right, right. Um, and then I wanted to get back to the, the, the personnel aspect of things. So it sounds like you have a lot of great data-driven ways that you're trying to bring in people for, for cyber talent. You know, you're talking about um, you know, HBCUs or, you know, other areas that you're bringing people in. Um, what is your talent pool like right now? Because as, as great as it is to work for the government, um, you know, the, the pay is not like what you would get at Google or at Apple or something like that. So, you know, what is your talent pool like? And, um, you know, how are you trying to bring people in? Right. Um, so um, a couple things I should say there. One is I, I want to make clear, sure it's clear. I mean, each of the measures, metrics and, and models, I didn't mean for that to be so alliterative, but, but each of those, uh, those data points, we're constantly maturing those. So here's another M for you. We're constantly maturing those. And so while we're using them all operationally, we, we, we recognize that, you know, from a data perspective, this is the beginning of a long journey. And so, and it's a, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, on the, the piece about workforce, so, you know, it's interesting, obviously, um, you know, there's what, 2 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs in the country and 60,000 in the national capital region. Uh, you know, for all that and for all that industry can bring to bear, we've been semi-fortunate in that when we offer a, a, a acquisition or, I'm sorry, excuse me, offer an opportunity externally, we have uh, tons of candidates. I mean, I recently advertised a position as a cybersecurity management officer, and we had 80 external candidates apply. Uh, you know, and, and after my, you know, scrub, we're down to 25 people we should interview. That's a good problem to have. And so yep. I think uh, people who apply to the government, there are you know, a couple of different use cases there. There are people who are truly moved by our mission, and I know I'm one of them, uh, in terms of, of doing something that counts. You know, decision makers and war fighters are relying on GEO to get home safe tonight. Uh, that's an incredible mission. And I think anybody, um, anybody who works with me would share that that's why we're here. Uh, you know, the, the mission of uh, NGA cybersecurity program is to deliver trusted GEO 
right? So I definitely believe that people are moved by ideology and or mission. Uh, we also can offer, I mean, we certainly do uh, work hard to offer competitive pay. Um, there are industries or industry uh, competitors who can offer more, but we have a real strong benefits program as well, a sort of total compensation package of, of incredible benefits. I mean, to my knowledge, the federal government offers about the best benefits package there is through, you know, bulk buying and economies of scale. They can, they can offer programs uh, that, that many can't. Uh, additionally, we, we directly and deliberately invest in cybersecurity training, conference attendance. We want people to uh, gain new skills, maintain their current skills, network, uh, sort of look ahead as well. And so we can offer a, a, a generous travel training and, and uh, conference attendance budget that many companies can't, especially with the, the scrutiny on direct labor rates in many cases, uh, that, you know, that kind of stuff is often margin or that kind of stuff is often uh, can be easily cut by industry. I, di I did spend a number of years in industry, uh, easily cut by industry when things get tough and the government typically doesn't have that problem. So, uh, you know, I, Keep up with us, and, and I'll let you know in a couple of years if, we're, if the talent's drying up. But um, we've had pretty good luck so far. I also want to applaud you. You mentioned HBCUs, and I'm very proud of the work our, our ambassador team. So cybersecurity has uh, ambassadors that are part of our, um, our recruiting program. Uh, they're cybersecurity professionals who, who volunteer to join a team and travel to when we could travel, travel to places like HBCUs, those kinds of things. We're also huge proponents and customers of the Scholarship for Service program. Uh, the Scholarship for Service program uh, offers federal government support for people completing their degrees uh, in exchange for a couple of years of service in the federal government prior to if they do take industry jobs. Um, in fact, some of our absolute very best, I could name five cybersecurity professionals off the top of my head, have come from Scholarship for Service and they are incredible. And so we're big proponents of that. We, we try not to miss a year, try not to miss active participation in that program because that's how we build the workforce of tomorrow. So what about training, uh, Matt? You know, how are you uh, making sure that people within the NGA are, are getting trained and, and keeping their talents fresh? Uh, well, actually, that's, uh, that's an area of direct investment for us. We're working on de defining career paths where people who may be in another occupation, geospatial analysis, financial management, uh, can, can join the cybersecurity workforce. Uh, so we have that through our career service. We offer courses through our NGA college. And as I previously said, uh, we definitely invest in uh, as much training as we can get. Uh, we do have bulk buy uh, training licenses and vouchers through multiple industry vendors, including sort of the big ones like SANS. Uh, we take full advantage of the federal virtual training environment and the, the just the absolute ton of free courses and courseware available there. And many of our, our big partners uh, offer uh, whole curriculums that, that align with their service offering. And the, the quick examples are the, the AWSs of the world and the Microsofts of the world who uh, you know, lay out a whole program for how someone can go from here to, to cloud expert. And we take full advantage of those programs as well. So Matt, as far as cloud services go, you know, how are you using cloud services to, to keep up with cybersecurity right now? Well, cloud is incredibly flexible. Uh, we can auto-magically spin up or spin down whatever resources we need. Our virtual SOC for our triple uh, W facing workloads is actually in one of our clouds. Our future from an agency perspective is multi-cloud, multi-tenant hybrid with on-prem resources as well. So the cloud is part of NGA's future, certainly part of NGA's cybersecurity future. So many native tools there, so many, uh, so many pieces of valuable telemetry. Uh, it is, is, is a key part to our success going forward. 
But I'd like to thank my guest today, Matt Connor. Thank you so much again. Thank you, Scott. It was a privilege. Matt Connor is the Chief Information Security Officer at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, and you're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Microfocus. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Keeping Cyber Systems Safe in Defense, sponsored by Microfocus Government Solutions on Federal News Network. When the competitive ground shifts, you need to be ready. With Microfocus's enterprise-grade scalable software, U.S. public sector agencies are driving their digital transformation. With Microfocus Government Solutions, agencies are able to stay compliant with government regulatory mandates while enabling innovations through DevSecOps, hybrid cloud, cybersecurity, and predictive analytics software. Learn more at microfocusgov.com. That's microfocusgov.com.